0: Five to go. Lewis has been awesome. Let's it go. Big it! Oh! Inbounds Turner, left side of the backcourt. Turner across the timeline, throws it from high on the right. He, he makes it. it. He hit it. Seven he
1: hit it. He hit it just inside of half court.
0: Lane's on the other wing. He finds
1: oh. it. Oh.
0: Oh. Oh. Set it in, Jerome. Oh. oh. This is March Madness. All right, everybody, welcome in to episode two of Mad About Hoops. These are a couple of guys right here that are just straight up crazy, mad, if you will, about college basketball. And, you know, Colin, my good buddy, Evil Bald Colin, who's with me. If you wanted to know about that nickname, by the way, you probably know if you've listened to the shows here at 97.1 The Fan, but there was a point in time where he just decided to cut all of his hair off. And he's a young guy. Like, I I did sense that male pattern baldness was going to affect you <laughs> at an earlier age than most dudes. I so, think you and
1: everybody else, yeah. yeah I, okay. I commiserate with
0: you. And I understand and I fully back the decision to cut all the hair off and just go with the bald book. You've got a good thick beard, so you're one of those guys now that has way more hair on your face than you do on the top yeah, of your head. Y- you just got to find your identity. You do, right? Pretty pretty much. Stick to it. Just don't go all Baker Mayfield on me and come up with, like, three different hairstyles. Shoot. I mean, if you did that in the same year, it would be odd,
1: let alone the same day with Baker Mayfield and his facial hair, right? God, it was just such a distraction more than anything else. But yeah, no, I I would never pull a move like that, so you're safe with me there.
0: So when we look at him, he just has this big, bright, shiny, bald head, and he looks evil, and that's where the name Evil Bald Colin came from. I am Timmy Hall. Again, your two favorite college basketball friends right here for you. Week 2, Episode 2. That's what's coming at you. We're going to start and dig into this James Wiseman situation with what's going on at Memphis. As we're recording this, we just saw that... He is back to being ineligible. Before we do a nosedive into that and some of our other topics, of course, we are always going to be a little bit heavier on the Ohio State Buckeyes because we are Columbus dudes right here. I just, I'm so happy that college basketball is back. And we'll talk about this in the coming podcast, but as soon as the holiday tourneys start to hit you, EBC, that's when I really get going. As soon as that Maui Invitational pops up on the schedule, which is still a couple weeks out, that's like he- absolute heaven for me.
1: Oh, what a first week we had. I mean, can I, I just from memory, I can't think of a better first week of action we've had just in the first seven or eight days of the season leading up to those tournaments that we've had in the past several years. Just be, be, Maybe just based off of matchups, having the Gavit games and whatnot and uh, a couple of Big 12 Pack 12 matchups, just a lot of very big games right off the back. And I know it's going to be one of our big topics coming down the line, but some of them, you know, they're a little bit questionable about why they're doing them at certain times of the year, but I love it. I know teams like Villanova are going to be much different later on down in the year when they get guys back from injury, but it's fantastic to see what it's going to be right now. But some of these these uh, tournaments you're talking about, yes, they're going to be very important.
0: Where do you, besides Maui, shoot, maybe Maui's not your favorite one. What are your favorite holiday tournaments?
1: You know, I don't know if this is fair to say, but can I say the PK80 because that was fantastic when we had it. No, it's not every year, but that that tournament was awesome. Just the sheer amount of talent they had in that tournament. So what's the word on the PK80? I mean, it's not going to
0: it can't really be the PK80, No, but I mean, the PK Invitational maybe. It's
1: something is coming back. Well, they had Something's something back similar there. to it. That Oregon and uh Memphis game was part of, like, a PK-style invitational. So I think it's something yeah, along like the lines of that.
0: There's something going on with that. I remember when Ohio State was involved, it was just awesome because it was the first one. It was honoring Phil Knight, and
1: you had it at two different arenas, and it was, like, a 16-team field. And you, when you're – I mean, you just – Plenty of marquee matchups. You're one of your first ones. Maybe it wasn't as marquee with the rankings, but I mean, you had so many storylines. You had Chris Holtman in one of his first games at his new school playing Butler. Like you couldn't ask for a better scene than that. He did not like that.
0: That no, wasn't he, he so cool that. for for Chris Holtman. But there was literally nothing he could do about that. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll take another dive into the tournaments that are going on in the next podcast or two when we get more into that. So EBC. What do we know about this Penny Hardaway James Wiseman situation? If you could just go from your memory, take us back through the timeline here and how we got to where we were with this with us finding out about this payment that Penny Hardaway Penny Hardaway, excuse me, Gave to James Wiseman's mom to move to the Memphis area. They were in Nashville at the time. This goes back to when Wiseman was playing on Penny's AAU team and then for Penny's high school team
1: where he was the coach at Memphis East. Yeah, I've been trying to read up on this the past couple of weeks because even myself, I was kind of... You know, in the dark about this, you know, you hear all the rumors of a. I think a a lot of people outside of Tennessee were. Right. And I think a lot of the assumptions were, you know, this is a coach that, wow, he has a pretty stored background as a player himself in Hardaway, but the way he's gone up through the AAU system, also coached a high school team to then just getting a a major, well, I, I guess the AAC is a pretty high level conference job. And then all of a sudden having the number one recruiting class right off the back. Like, there were people, even not even knowing the story of the Wiseman situation, that were kind of raising eyebrows at what he was doing, getting those guys into that system. But with Wiseman, there's a lot of debate on this of whether it, yes, it would possibly break a rule, but did Penny really do anything that was wrong for the kid's future? I think that's a lot of what's going on deeper into the story of what people are debating is do they think this was an attempt? Him knowing, oh, you know, I might get this job at Memphis. Let's get him into the city and, you know, make connections closer. Or was this just a, a you know, a kind effort to help the kid get into a better situation? I don't know. There's so many different la- layers to this that I personally don't know if I can speak on yet.
0: Yeah, and I, I haven't been able to... What I've been trying to find out and see what's out there on, on the uh, intervebs is what's the what's the family situation for James Wiseman? Because I think a student's background is important if you are going to give some financial assistance. And I think the one thing that we tend to leave out of some of these NCAA situations is just plain and simple logic, right? Like, are we are we making somebody rich? Is this like blue chips where you're just dropping off sacks of cash and that's it? And that, that's all that this is? Or are you actually trying to help someone it's like you said, actually trying to lend a helping hand to a family. I mean, this kid, there's nothing stopping him from getting to the NBA, right? I mean, that is going to oh, happen. He's gonna be a lottery
1: guy. So wh-
0: what's the point in stopping that train? If if mom needed a little bit of assistance to make a family move, and we're not talking about, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, eleven thousand five hundred is the reported moving expenses. There's a there's a There's sort of a line item on it, too, if we're we're talking about, you know, looking at what funds are used for, moving expenses, all right? It isn't just, you know, entertainment purposes, you know? And you could we could sit here and debate how much it actually costs to make a move if we want to mince words and things like that. But I kind of go back with you, and I think everyone is sort of getting to that place here in 2019, our own Chase Young situation, right? When you're talking about a phenom athlete, and we're not talking about money that is going to be life altering. We're talking about, you know, somebody that he knows. And of of course, these guys are going to know people because of who they are. Of course, they they have a lot to offer. They're going to go to a big time school. They're going to go on to the NBA or the NFL in one year or three years after they arrive in one, whatever campus, whatever city in America they choose to go to. So it it's kind of like that for me. Clearly, with the way the NCAA is set up right now, we understand that this would be a violation of of rules. I get all that. But I think we're all starting to get on the side of how can we, with name, image, and likeness already being pushed to the forefront, the NCAA already saying that they agree with that because they can't stop California from doing what they're doing. Good luck with that. That's going to be law in California. It's funny. Their law will say – that schools would be breaking the law to not allow the student-athletes to profit off of their own name, image, and likeness. It just seems logical to me. So, 11500 bucks and... We want to make James Wiseman ineligible, but yet I've read nothing about Penny Hardaway, who would be the adult and the coach figure in this situation. If we're going to look at somebody breaking a rule and consciously doing it here, I don't know why it
1: isn't pointed directly at Penny instead of James Wiseman. You just nailed it right on the head. I mean, you can talk whether it's football with Chase Young, I know Joel Klatt was pounding the drum on this and with Wiseman's situation you have Jay Billis doing the same thing where it's, you know, there's no real due process in the process for these players. They just get suspended and have to wait and hold yeah. out. What's
0: happening to Penny?
1: Yeah, and he's they get the games? They get the coach and wait out the process and see what happens, but even then I don't even know if he's really the target in this. All you're hearing is Wiseman. Well, that's what I'm saying. I I would like to get to a point where nobody is the target here. And I agree with that.
0: It's gotta it's gotta be rules changes that push it down the line, but I would just I, I would love, since we kinda already see ourselves going that way, I would love to get this guy back on the court. Let's slap him on the wrist, right? I don't even it would suck to me to actually have to force James Wiseman's mother to pay the funds back. Like if they're already spent, if they were used for moving purposes, you might call me naive or something like that. I'm going to say that some of those funds were actually used to move and some were probably used just for other living expenses. I mean, life is hard for a lot of people. We know that. So I, I just look at, you've got a young budding basketball superstar. If, Somebody like Memphis or any other university sees value in him and wants to reach into their pockets to help either him or some of his family members get closer to maybe they can watch him play in the short time he's going to be playing college basketball. The way I look at it is this, EBC, even major institutions with millions and millions of dollars don't really like to just give away their money. Do you know any rich person? No. Your, even your parents. No. Your parents don't like to just give you money. You know, it's like the last thing they want to do. But since you're a good guy and you're working hard for it and you deserve it, if you need a little assistance, they're going to give it to you, right? But nobody wants to just give money away to anybody that doesn't deserve it or hasn't, or they don't feel like they've earned it. Doesn't matter if it's a institution that is bringing in, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars a year. They're not just going to say, oh, here's 50,000 bucks. Just have at it. Have fun. No, it didn't work that way. I just see if we can get to a place, whether it's Arizona trying to get a guy, funny how I picked them, right? UCLA (laughs) trying to get a guy, Kansas trying to get a guy, any major conference school, what have you, if they see value in somebody, And they want to give a little assistance to the player or the family because they need help. It would just make the whole situation easier. And the school thinks they're going to get it back because he's a great player and they can sell some tickets and the kid can use his name, image, and likeness and make a little bit extra too for the short time he's there before he goes on to be a big athlete. What's the big
1: deal? What's so morally reprehensible about it? You would be killing off everything the NCAA thinks they stand for, which I am totally okay with, but man, that's... That's a little bit more out there than what even the more activist people are doing right now for the NCA versus player compensation. That's incredible. But actually talking more about this Wiseman situation and as of this recording actually they uh the family actually rescinded their uh lawsuit against the NCA because right. it sounds like they're getting ready to get into like a negotiation process with
0: yeah, they're going to try Memphis at the time we're talking about this. Yes. So Wiseman was back to ineligible. Yes. They the, he and the family dropped the the lawsuit that got him, I guess, the stay or the injunction, so he could play, and now Memphis is going to immediately apply for his reinstatement,
1: which is the right move because you can only Let's play the get song him on for the so court. Long. he's, yes. he's going to be gone in a
0: year anyway, right? Is is this the same as Cam Newton's dad going around asking for a hundred thousand dollars or no, whatever to play? That not even close,
1: and he no. didn't face anything.
0: No, but you know what? Cam Newton probably was worth $100,000. Go ask right? Auburn. He yeah. won a damn Heisman trophy in a national championship. We'll probably get to a point someday. We're in a capitalistic society. That's what I don't get, right? And people might not like that. There's, to a certain point, it gets a little unnerving with how capitalistic we are. But I, I, I tell you why that doesn't apply here when you are in some big business. The NCAA is big business. I mean, it's 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 crazy. Oh, yeah. So, hey, that is the James Wiseman portion of the podcast here. You're listening to Mad About Hoops. I'm Timmy Hall. This is Evil Bald Colin right here. Just lovers, adorers of college basketball. Week two of the season, we're in Columbus, Ohio, and the Ohio State Buckeyes at this point in time are 3-0, and baby. They beat Cincinnati. They beat UMass Lowell, and that guy that scored 51 points for them, Christian Lutete, what a score he was. And he was held at nine points. And then you just beat Villanova like a drum.
1: Incredible performance. Doesn't it feel great? I, I know. I know it's November, but those type of wins is really what can get you rolling as a program in a season. It doesn't really matter what time of year it happens, but especially November when you have another couple strong games down the line. I know in the first week of December, you got to go to Chapel Hill. Doesn't that just give you a boatload of confidence going into those type of games? It absolutely does.
0: And, you know, you already, you're almost halfway through the so-called gauntlet stretch. It's one of the, when we looked at it before the season, and things, you know, things can always change. But before the season, when you look at the list of programs that are here... North Carolina on the road at the Dean Dome. That at the Dean Dome, that one's going to hold up. Probably your, your toughest one. I'm pretty sure Villanova's going to hold up. And I think I think Cincinnati will too. West Virginia, we'll see how the Mountaineers are. But still that's a pretty nifty game to add in as your fifth. It's a if tough yeah. it's a tough style to play against with that press. It sure is. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean West Virginia it, it's shocking the way they dipped last year. That's what's more shocking, but to be 2-0 in this non-conference slate already. It gives you confidence about the ones remaining, and it also takes the pressure off. Because now if you think about it, man, if you just split
1: Kentucky and North Carolina, how ahead of the curve are you? Well, let's look at the big five in the non-conference that we were talking about before the season with Cincinnati, Villanova, North Carolina, Kentucky, and West Virginia. What was kind of the baseline, bare minimum, you wanted to do in those five games? Because I think most people you would ask, three and two. two, two and three was probably the basement of what you would want to do on that, but three and two is what you were gunning for. And I mean, you're already got two of those in the bag, and you have all that confidence rolling into those next games in line. You got to be happy with where you're at.
0: Three and two would have been where I was, and now four and one is seriously in play. The North Carolina game, true road game, ACC Big Ten challenge—that is the big ticket game right now. I agree. that's the one that stands in your way. But I got to tell you, it looked. I'm surprised to see a team have their click-in moment like that so early in the season. They beat Cincinnati in a tough, tough-mutter kind of game. They were in the slop in that game. They didn't score a point, free throw or field goal, until I think think the clock had gone under 12 minutes, but they hadn't had a a stoppage of play yet, and I think they got a free throw there. But call it basically the second media timeout where they didn't have a point. And then two games later against one of the best teams – In the country, two-time national champions in the last four years, elevated status to a blue blood program here recently, and you're having one of the best starts in a game that I can recall seeing any team have, especially Ohio State. Asking around, I think we'd have to go back to the Duke game here at the shot, maybe eight years ago, where you had to start to a game that hot and then
1: finish them off. Yeah, I'd probably say that. Yeah. No. No and the reason why we got this is because we talked about it when once we heard that Andre Wesson was going to be out what two weeks mm-hmm. it was going to be the secondary yeah. guys that were going to step up and make a statement early we talked about that at verbatim and look who did it you had with Dwayne Washington I think he had 11 points within the first 5 minutes he like made, something insane he like made that. three
0: threes, and he had the driving dunk. Yes. the two-handed slammer. You had, I thought he got
1: fouled. You had Luther making step-back threes. I mean, <laughs> you, were, you were getting contributions. Luther Muhammad, baby. You weren't getting contributions you were normally used to in the amount that you were getting him last night, or... When this game happened, it was incredible. The fact that Dwayne Washington
0: could have a start or as uh, our our buddy Ronnie Stokes with the accent likes to call him Dwayne Washington. I love that. Being, uh, having some family from out near Maryland, (laughs) the, uh, the turning wash into wash is something that I'm all too familiar with, but I think it's cool. The fact that he scores 11 points in the blink of an eye and then finishes the game with 14 and you're still beating them like you beat them. I think that's very telling as to how complete of a team Ohio State has How complete when indeed. it's dialed in. I mean, that proved to you, they. we're not going to crown them national champs. We're not going to be idiots here, but are they going to be a contender for the Final Four? You bet your butt they will be. They play like that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they could beat anyone in the country on their best night. That's what that proved, and they were able to figure that out three games into the season. So that, to me, is just awesome. You, you've you got to be over the moon about Buckeye Hoops right now.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. And we, we talked about these younger freshman players that needed to step up in order to make Ohio State reach their full potential. And what did we see with that game? We saw EJ Liddell play pretty well on both sides of the ball. You had DJ Carton just absolutely skyrocketing. I mean, he's making poster dunks over top of great players for Villanova. You have uh, Alonzo Gaffney soaring for uh, dunks late in the game. I mean, you're getting contributions from everybody possible.
0: Yeah, that brings us to the semi-Ogellet dunk of the week, just uh, to pay homage to him. Foster the drive, outside Milton through... <laughs> hot mama I love hearing that so it goes to none other than DJ Carton freshman for the Ohio State Buckeyes who just has sauce for days he's just brimming with sauce this guy and this is the great Paul Keels with Ron Stokes on the call Kyle Young at 6'8 top of the key curls around bounces right baseline Carton dunks drove the right baseline Carton threw it down nice assist Kyle Young 60-32 60-32 Ohio State. Did that energize the crowd?
1: Can't draw it up any better, Ron. Ronnie is so good. <laughs> Isn't <it> he your just <laughs> playing so off good. the ball? Every time there's mm. a big dunk for Ohio State, he does so well. So many mm's
0: when he's watching basketball there. Yeah, you can tell how good it is by how loud he does it. Listen to the freshman talk about what happened on that play. I just I just knew uh, I, I we needed a big play, and um, it was a good pass by a uh, good play call uh, by coach, first of all. Um, great pass by my boy Kyle, and um, I mean, he just put me in a, a great, uh, great situation to you know make a play, and um, I go. did that. There and I mean, that, <laughs> I didn't really go. know how to react from that. I mean, <laughs> it, it was fun. It was fun, um, you know, celebrating with my teammates and just uh, you know being able to play the game I love. That is good stuff. And Chris Holtman gave some credit. I, Ryan Peden, and. Uh, their other why am I blanking on the other offensive assistant that draw that would draw plays for for the Bucks? It would. It would be probably Jake Diebler. Yeah, I was about then. to say Diebler. Yeah, yeah, it would be Peden and Diebler. I can't remember which play was which because he didn't mention the coach there. But they one of them was the backdoor cut where Kyle Young had the slam. I think he gave Peden the, the credit, credit on that. Okay, I think then, he did. Then it might have been Diebler or 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 somebody else on the bench. <laughs> it could have been Dockett for all I know. Good Lord. I mean, that, that, that dude knew how to get it done. And he had some incredible court vision, but it was just the, the staff, Chris Holtman, what everybody's doing right now. It's, it's pretty incredible stuff. So the Buckeyes, as we record this episode, three, and zero, and heading into a stretch where they can win their next four games because they've got the cupcake March. They will. That's, that's yes. what's coming up for them. So it's going to be great stuff. So I'm loving, loving where Ohio State basketball is. All right. We got about nine or 10 minutes left. I, I wanted to hit on this real quick, evil bald column. And I wanted to side with my man Jim Beheim, who took a lot of heat for just being argumentative because he lost his first game of the season to Virginia. But
1: it looked really bad doing
0: oh, it. Oh, it was rough. I remember Chris Holtman here in Columbus feeling a lot better about things in that ugly game he played against Cincinnati when he found out that Virginia was held to below, or sorry, when Virginia held Syracuse to below 40 points. And that was in the Carrier Dome, was it not? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. We should play, it's almost like It's a Wonderful Life, where an angel gets its wings. And I would have used to say when Virginia holds a team under 50,
1: but I think now it's when they they hold the team under 40. Right? It's gross. Yeah. Well, (laughs) Tony Bennett. Tony Bennett does have a very, I mean, obviously, he always has a defensive team, but this year it seems more like they're going to have to depend on the defense more than what their offense can carry. But here's here's the point of it. Jim Boeheim said that it was
0: stupid and that it was a money grab for what the ACC is doing playing conference games day one in college hoops. And I completely agree with the dude. It might sound Bitter because they lost the game. But, hey, if we're just going to talk about it at its base value, I like big non-conference games. I have said that. I'm on the record saying that. Go right in, game one, and play a huge non-conference game. Buckeyes against Cincinnati. Absolutely. You could get something night one of the year that can seriously boost your resume. We've said, and Chris Holman's agreed, you don't get in the tournament without beating Cincinnati on the road to start the season year one. But for conference play, Conference play, I think, has its place, right? Those are important games. They will dictate league championships in the end. And to run into those on night one when you could just be scheduling the big, bad, non-conference opponents, I don't know why you do it. I'm not a fan of that.
1: I would hate to see the Big Ten do that. My take on this has changed rapidly since when he made this comment last week after playing Virginia. And originally I was like, well, you have to play some of that caliber early on anyways and take your lumps and bruises. But yeah, your point pretty much stands. At the same time, you're losing ground in the ACC early on in the season with a relatively young team that Bayheim has. And he's going against who, quite honestly, could be the best team in the ACC at the end of the year. And you're talking about trying to make up ground on a team that you didn't play at probably your peak. I just, I think conference play, that's the most important thing. And we're
0: already going earlier and earlier and earlier. And I'm okay with... Having a pair of games, you know, segmented off like in early December. What the Big Ten fine. does in December. Yeah, you yeah. still get a good group, a good cluster of basketball games to get your feet wet and figure yourselves out a little bit. But to go in night one, that's uh I, I still stand by. I think you should schedule tough, schedule a big boy night one because you won't be crushed if you lose it. But if you're losing a conference game night one, that can sting a little bit more. I I just I don't get it. I don't like it. Um now we're gonna do a little segment that we called, Hey, have you noticed? And this is our anything segment because we watch a lot of college basketball. There's a lot of things that we just see. We text each other every night while we're watching college hoops. I think next week I'm going to complain about the three point line. And now I think it's stupid. Even though we've already done and it it's pretty too far back. Yeah. <laughs> At this point. You, you and me were watching Marquette and Purdue, which Purdue blew that game and Marquette won it. Right. Uh, Wojo's got a good team this year. I was convinced that that was the Bucks three-point line and that there was a faint three-point line inside that, but yet the college three has actually moved back so long to go to the international three, it was the college three-point line. But either way, that's for next week. This week for me in my, hey, have you noticed this? Have you noticed that there's a lot of high scores from the mid-major programs that have transferred to high major programs and are going like right into being... Big-time players. Example A from the game I just mentioned, Jihad Proctor for Purdue, who, as you watch them play, he's going to be a focal point of that team. You've been and talking about him all preseason. He's really good, and he's from High Point, where he was a 20-point-per-game guy for High Point, which is a little school in North Carolina.
1: Yeah, I haven't really paid too much attention to so the you didn't the notice trans- that? No, not too much. I mean, there's some guys here and there probably at the bigger g- – uh, teams like I mentioned to you before the show, Nate Sestina, who played at Bucknell, that's now at Kentucky, that's contributing off the bench at times. Yes. Yeah. You see, I forgot about him. Yeah. That's
0: exactly what I'm talking about. But Guys besides... like Nate Sestina, he was he would have been probably a 13, 15 a game guy oh, at Bucknell, yeah. he, right? He's one of the best yeah. players in the Patriot He was league, here, for sure. he played here at Ohio State when Bucknell came here last year. Just gave us a scare. That's yeah. right. It was like a one possession game. But uh, yeah, just a little list that I ran down TJ Holyfields at Texas Tech. He was a 13 and 6 guy nearby Stephen F. Austin. You've got two for UNC Christian Keeling and Justin Pierce. Keeling, a Charleston Southern guy, where he was a 19-7 guy. Pierce was a 15-9 dude at William & Mary. Good old Bill & Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. Great school. Lamar Kimball to Louisville. 16 a game at St. Joe's. St. Joe's is more of a major program in my eye. You got Pat Andre or And3, as they call him at (laughs) NC State. 13-6 dude at Lehigh. Jason Carter to Xavier. 16-7 dude at Ohio, where Jeff Bowles is now coaching. They beat Iona on the road. And, and Jihad they, they
1: got Villanova coming up, which should be very interesting to see how we. If perform. they go to Villanova, the yeah. Ohio Bobcats do. Yeah, but uh, anything for you, CB, that you've noticed here of watching Week 2 College Hoops? You know, what I've noticed is probably what a lot of people are if they're watching the Big Ten, but, I mean, outside of the top three right now with Michigan State, Maryland, and Ohio State, it's a big group of a lot of unknown right now. It's, it's a lot of unknown. I don't know how much they're going to— you know, challenge the top three. Because we've always talked about this being a very deep conference. It was very deep last year. But you got this big mix of teams like Illinois. I don't know what to make of them yet. I think they can be good, but I also am kind of questioning it. I think... Iowa, another team that's got a pretty good core of three oh, or four guys. What happened to Iowa? They lost Tyler Cook. Tyler Cook and Moss, and Moss went to Kansas,
0: but everybody else and some big guys, and you got two McCaffreys. You got Lee's camp.
1: You got Lucas Garza still there. You got uh, Jordan Bohannon. But then they looked awful against DePaul, who's going to at least be projected to be the last team in the Big East. So I don't really know what's going to happen with the Big Ten and how it's going to play out. And I guess further down the line, we can talk about how many Big Ten teams will make the dance. But I'm kinda of questioning it behind you know, there's a section of teams like there, like Illinois, Purdue, and Michigan State in that yeah. second tier where I think they're solidified percent, but the rest of it, I can't make it out because Northwestern loses to a team that played in their second ever game as a division one team and then go out and beats Providence. I don't understand yeah. this.
0: Big win beating Providence. I did not see that one coming. I, just, I marked that down as an automatic win for the Big East with yeah. what Northwestern showed us last and year. And one but last thing. Your I t- love Chris Collins, your, your though. Team I'm with, happy for him. Your team with Purdue. They're, they're going to be fine, CB. I'm scared be, about their offense. No, they'll be fine. You always say that about Purdue hoops. <laughs> Proctor will be good. Eastern will find his way. They just have so many guys that they can run at you. And they've played, they, play, they played Texas and Marquette, right? I mean, those... Those are their two losses. So look at the schedule right there. But I see what you're saying. Michigan State, Ohio State, Maryland. Then maybe Purdue and another team like Illinois in the middle. Maybe Wisconsin. And then maybe Indiana gets up there and all the rest. I get it. But it's time now to finish up uh, week two, episode two of Mad About Hoops with Evil Bald Collins mid-major flavor. And that's what I also love about college hoops is that mid-majors just find a way to get it done every single week. And, hey, those Purple Aces of Evansville. That has to be your highlight oh, in this segment. It has to <laughs> you be. You going with them or somebody it, else? Oh, it
1: has to be them. It has to be them with all the storylines behind this game. And, you know, I kind of looked at my ESPN app around, oh, it would have been middle of the second half of this game and was surprised. I saw the score. I had to flip on the TV real quick. And the storylines, McCarty, I believe, is the name of the guy yeah, he that won was coaching a title at Kentucky. For Evansville. The storylines behind this game was so impeccable, man. I mean, like, you couldn't create a better storyline for the first week of the season in terms of an upset. But, man... That's what you're going to see with Kentucky, man. It's a young team. They're going to be very susceptible of having let down games like that.
0: Winthrop beat St. Mary's was
1: another one. So good That's for Winthrop. Good for Winthrop, but yep. man, that is tough for the Western Athletic Conference.
0: I know. Is that mid-major on mid-major crime? Because it is. St. Mary's has sort of kind of climbed up to another another level, even though they're in the West Coast Conference. It's kind of Gonzaga them and then everybody else
1: is a mid-major. It's 100% crime. On crime that <laughs> it is All because right. you're talking about a St. Mary's team that really has to depend on winning the games that they must and stealing some of the bigger games on their schedule, like a Utah State. They already beat Wisconsin, so that maybe that should help. You also have the home-and-home home with Gonzaga, but, but outside of that, losing those games you must win is going to make it hard for their at-large bid.
0: I would say that my all-time mid-major flavor has to go back to UMBC because they're the first 16 to ever of knock off a one. Like That's some serious stuff, and they just keep tweeting, whoever that is. We're going to have <laughs> to have that guy or gal on the podcast at some point because their Twitter game is just amazing. And they just put out a you-hate-to-see-it tweet after the news of Evansville beating Kentucky was out. And then they actually had to tell a lot of people that they didn't really hate to see Evansville beating Kentucky. They thought that that was awesome, you know, because they're a little guy themselves. So just enjoy that. I thought that was classic. That's hilarious. All right, that is it. We'll have so much more next week as we watch everything there is to watch in this great, beautiful game of college basketball. This has been Mad About Hoops. Please subscribe. Please give us a nice little rating if you are enjoying what we're giving you, and we will talk to you guys soon. Have a good week.